Hello and welcome to the podcast for the December 2012 issue of The Lancet Neurology. Richard Lane here and I'm delighted this month to welcome back Helen Frankish to the podcast. Helen, it's been a while. Welcome back. Thanks, Richard. Well, you're off the hook because the main bulk of this podcast is going to be a focus on a fascinating research article. I'll be interviewing one of the authors of that paper, Eric Ryman, and it concerns autosomal dominant Alzheimer's disease. This was picked up in a great piece in the New York Times last week, which is good when it's published online. It is in the December issue of The Lancet Neurology as well. Other than that, uh, Helen, why don't you just uh, walk us through some of the other highlights in the December issue? Okay, thanks, Richard. Well, the leader this month is looking at the important issue of the increasing incidence of stroke in young people. And as well as the two reports from the Colombian cohort, that's the Ryman paper, we have the five-year follow-up of a randomised controlled trial of deep brain stimulation in patients with dystonia. And also we have a report from the Framingham Heart Study looking at the effects of high blood pressure in middle age on white matter integrity in the brain. And then in the review section, we have reviews on antithrombotic therapy for prevention of stroke in patients with atrial fibrillation and another on the bidirectional relation between depressive disorders and epilepsy. And finally, we have a personal view on exacerbated cognitive decline in later life in people who have a history of traumatic brain injury. Many thanks indeed. Now let's hear from Eric Ryman discussing his research article in the December issue concerning autosomal dominant Alzheimer's disease. Eric Ryman, MD, Executive Director of the Banner Alzheimer's Institute and CEO of Banner Research in Phoenix, Arizona. Dr. Reiner, many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet Neurology. We're discussing your research article concerning uh, autosomal dominant Alzheimer's disease. What is autosomal dominant Alzheimer's disease and what puts people at risk of developing this disorder? Pleasure to talk with you uh, about uh, our study in young adult carriers of an autosomal dominant mutation. Uh, We're uh, pleased to note that there was another paper looking at the age a related trajectory of amyloid accumulation in members of the same kindred led by my colleague, uh, Dr. Adam Fleischer, Dr. Francisco Lopera, and the rest of our team. About 500 known kindreds around the world carry a rare mutation of uh, the presenilin 1 gene, the presenilin 2 gene, or the amyloid precursor protein gene that causes them with virtual certainty to develop Alzheimer's disease, most of the kindreds to do so uh, before the age of 60. If one carries this mutation, one is virtually certain to develop the disease in the absence of a treatment. Approximately uh, half of uh, children uh, may inherit the same disease. In this particular study, you've, you've focused on a specific type of kindred. Can you explain the, the specifics of this population? We and our colleagues, in conjunction with Dr. Francisco Lopera from the University of Antioquia in Colombia, have been conducting biomarker studies in members of the world's largest known autosomal dominant Alzheimer's disease kindred. These members of this extended family are all descended from an ancestor who carried the mutation, live in uh, the state of Antioquia in Colombia, and are thought to number about 5,000 people, including about 1,500 individuals who carry the same mutation. 
they provide an opportunity for us to characterize the biomarker changes associated with the preclinical stages of Alzheimer's disease and to set the stages to help accelerate the evaluation of promising prevention therapies as uh, we will begin to do in the Alzheimer's Prevention Initiative. And what are the main findings from this study regarding brain function and structure concerning these individuals? We and our colleagues were uh, honored to publish two papers in Lancet Neurology in the same issue. And in the first study, led by Dr. Lopera, uh, Dr. Yakel Kiroz, and myself, we studied young adult carriers and non-carriers of this mutation with uh, structural and functional MRI measurements and in the subset of these individuals with cerebral spinal fluid and plasma biomarkers. They were 18 to 26 years of age, on average more than 20 years before the kindred's estimated average age of 45 at uh, MCI onset. It gave us the opportunity to characterize some of the earliest biomarker changes associated with the predisposition to Alzheimer's disease. In this first study, we found that both plasma and cerebral spinal fluid, amyloid beta-42 levels were elevated, consistent with the long-standing idea that individuals with autosomal dominant Alzheimer's disease overproduce amyloid beta-42 either alone or in comparison to another amyloid peptide known as A-beta-40. It was the first time that we could characterize those changes in cerebral spinal fluid because previous studies in symptomatic uh, autosomal dominant mutation carriers and uh, those in the latter preclinical stages who already have amyloid deposition, the A-beta-42 begins to become sequestered and uh, actually the CSF levels are reduced. So we were able to show increases in CSF, uh, A-beta-42. And we were actually uh, able through this study and other PET studies to suggest that we are studying individuals before they have amyloid plaque accumulation, which we believe begins around age 28 in this kindred. In the absence of biomarker evidence of amyloid accumulation, we also see structural and functional MRI changes similar to that uh, found in the latter stages of Alzheimer's disease, raising questions about what some of the earliest brain changes are in relationship to the predisposition to the disorder. No other um, particular findings. The uh, structural abnormalities that we found were reductions in gray matter uh, in uh, brain regions uh, thought to be affected by Alzheimer's disease. These were relatively subtle changes and will need to be confirmed in independent studies of other mutation carriers, either in this kindred or in other groups, uh, more than two decades before the onset of symptoms. We also found a characteristic pattern of, um, of brain uh, activations and deactivations during a memory encoding tests when individuals were uh, looking at faces and names and beginning to relate the two to each other. It appears that the uh, uh, um, hippocampus is overworking, uh, possibly in compensation for other aspects of the disease in the carriers, 
and they had less deactivation in another brain region, uh, posterior cingulate cortex, that is part of this same memory circuit. So again, it raises some new questions about what some of the earliest brain changes are associated with the predisposition to Alzheimer's disease, the extent to which these changes um, may be uh, progressive and related to neurodegeneration, or even perhaps neurodevelopmental, providing a foothold for the subsequent development of Alzheimer's pathology. And it raises questions about whether some of the underlying processes could be targeted by future prevention therapies. Thank you. Preempted my final question, which was you know, the implications. What does this? How does this? advance our knowledge of sporadic Alzheimer's disease. I think you've articulated that. I mean, just very briefly as a final thought, what are the next steps? Because this is a very fascinating insight, isn't it? Particularly at this early onset, pre-plaque, as you say, identification right. of, of Alzheimer's. So what happens next? What's the next step in, in the Alzheimer's jigsaw? Well, the next thing that we already did, and as was published in uh, The Lancet Neurology, was we characterized uh, uh, the age-related trajectory of amyloid deposition using PET. And we're looking at uh, all of the other best-established biomarker measurements to determine, to characterize and compare the trajectory of these changes. With amyloid PET measurements, we find that the uh, uh, amyloid deposition begins around the age of 28, which is about 16 years before the onset of mild cognitive impairment, 21 years before uh, uh, Alzheimer's dementia, but it rapidly increases and actually uh, uh, begins to plateau even uh, uh, several years before the onset of mild cognitive impairment. We are uh, using this information to help uh, in the design of our prevention trials. So our uh, uh, next effort is to launch a, a prevention trial of uh, the amyloid immunization therapy, quinazumab, um, in uh, conjunction with uh, 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 several colleagues. This is a study led by Dr. Pierre Terrio, uh, Dr. Lopera, myself, in conjunction with leaderships from, from Genentech, supported by the NIH as well. We will be studying individuals uh, from this kindred within uh, 15 years of their estimated age of clinical onset. And the goals are not only to test a promising but unproven investigational agent in the prevention of Alzheimer's disease, but to provide a better test of the amyloid hypothesis and to provide information about a treatment's biomarker effects so that we could develop faster ways to test the range of uh, promising prevention therapies in everybody. We are also interested in knowing the extent to which the changes we see in carriers of this particular mutation are generalizable to those with other autosomal dominant mutations and our colleagues from the dominantly inherited Alzheimer's network have uh, uh, recently published data showing a number of similarities, for instance, with the um, uh, onset of amyloid deposition. And we're also trying to characterize the earliest brain changes associated with the predisposition to the more common form of Alzheimer's disease, that is, late-onset Alzheimer's disease, and people with uh, 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 two copies, one copy and no copies of the ApoE4 gene, the major genetic risk factor for developing Alzheimer's disease at older ages. Indeed, well, gosh, it's a busy area, and you're clearly very busy too, but many thanks indeed for that. That's uh, Dr. Eric Ryman on the line from Phoenix, Arizona, in the United States. Many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet Neurology. 
Thank you very much. So that's all for this month. And also many thanks to Helen back on the podcast after a long break. Thanks, Helen. Thanks, Richard. Thanks, everyone, for listening. See you next month.